handful of those. Hello and welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Satella Esquire and Mike Leno and our third wheel, but not not makes us a strong tricycle. That's Jonathan Schwartz from Slam Wrestling. And we hopefully will add another guest too, but we'll see, we'll see how that works out. So uh, thanks everyone for being here this week. And and um, uh, Jonathan, you recently went to an AEW show. Is that correct? I did. It was uh, the Wednesday night taping of AEW Dynamite, uh, their first show up in Toronto, and our first one of the first events we've had here in about three years since our COVID protections have been pretty strong for a little bit longer than they were down in the States. Um, certainly it's the first event that I've been to in the last three years and probably my first night out of the house in that long. Um, and I had a great time. Um, my friend Elliot Silverstein, who I'm going to give a big shout out to, got me the tickets and we went and we just had a blast. Now you get to see also, and I'll show up in a second. Did you stay for the, the rampage uh, taping and our uh, guest, hopefully joins us. But for everybody that knows Trevor Blanchard through the CAC, he's been going a jillion years. Evan knows him. Evan called me. Just want to let folks know most of these Sundays he's to major reggae concerts. So he called me from the subway en route. But anyway, Jonathan, did you stay for the, uh, the Rampage as well as the full Dynamite? So unfortunately, Rampage taped on a second night on Thursday. So I wasn't around for that, although I kind of wish I was because there were a few acts that were on that show that I really would have liked to see. Um, There were a couple of new signings for AEW. Um, I'm not. Oh, no. Jonathan froze up a little. Maybe he'll unfreeze. Uh Oh, I'm not. I I thought because I saw some of the same signs. You, you froze for a few seconds sorry, there. Sorry about that. So continue explaining what, what you were just about to say, Jonathan. So I'm not sure where I froze, but uh, they actually take Rampage as a second night on Thursday. Um, I'm sorry I did miss it because there were a few debuts. Um, and uh, notably, the Kingdom from ROH has started appearing on AEW. I guess their contract with Impact ran out. And so now they've started there. And I think that that has great potential to be an interesting storyline since they've already got former members, Matt Hardy, who's kind of not doing much given that that Jeff's still off air. And Adam Cole, whenever he comes back from injury, you could basically get the whole set minus TK O'Brien in. And, you know, given the changing nature of factions within AEW storylines, that could actually be a pretty big impact on the broadcasts. It's neat. So it's true, as they claim, that uh, the kingdom has never faced um, FTR before. So that's, is that your understanding too? I'm not aware of them ever, certainly not in Japan, in New Japan. I don't think so. I, I don't think their time anywhere really overlapped until now. And I think in Impact, Honor No More is kind of done because uh, I, I read, I don't know if it was Tuesday, that they were leaving along with uh so it sounds like pco and kenny king might be the only ones staying and eddie impact. edwards and eddie yeah, eddie of course because he's a long term he's kind of the face of that company really i'm always truth. i'm always amazed that impact has lasted as long as it has i mean it's I, been, I hate to say it this last well i don't hate to say it i'm happy i'm happy great product it is the last year and maybe jonathan can back me up Lots of new Japan talent uh, coming in, and you know it, it's vastly improved from just seeing uh, uh, bear money. Well, no, 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 no. no. I like bear money. These were great. I'm just saying, like maybe two years ago, it was kind of uh, it wasn't quite the talent pool that they have now. They have an excellent talent pool, and the, it, a lot of it is like almost per diem or per taping. You know, they're not. Well, the, well I think the interesting thing there is. Um, if you, well, you read Keith Greenberg's book, Follow the Buzzards, recently as well. But I think Impact was really one of the biggest beneficiaries of the recent waves of um, releases that WWE had. I, even if you go back before COVID, the whole run where Eric Young was released along with many others, uh, Heath, 
uh, Heath Slater as well being an example, Rhino, and they all turned up on impact ahead of AEW. And I think that's kind of continued. I've got a bit of a weird conspiracy theory when you think about how much um, cross-pollination there's been between impact and AEW and New Japan. I find, you know, even to the extent that Frankie Kazarian recently um, called his shot to get a title match coming up on impact. Um, I kind of think that maybe Tony Khan is helping behind the scenes, keep them afloat much the same way that Vince McMahon and the WWE did with ECW when that was kind of a way station between the two big companies. Um, but darned if I can prove it. So our guest has joined us tonight. <laughs> oh, you gotta love computers. You gotta love computers. Jonathan, very nice to see you and meet you and Russ. Nice, uh, you. nice to finally see your face. Uh, we've talked a couple times on, uh, all over the phone, and then Dr. Mike Lano, man, you got a lot more gray hair since the last time I seen you, brother. <laughs> so, Mike, why don't you introduce our guest now? Stress. Trevor Blanchard, a wrestler, longtime wrestler, referee, promoter, co-promoter, master, like Evan is, of press, of PR. Uh, he's for Cauliflower Alley. He has many roles. He's overseen Trev. I know you do much more than. Uh, you know, running the shows, refing your kids have refed and they continue to referee as you've done for so many years, decades. And I think you were a big part too with the bowling, Clarelli bowling tournament. Uh, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. You do wear a lot of hats there, but you do you know, globally and you're a constant presence at all these shows. I don't know how many, this is uh, Jonathan's first AEW show in uh, Toronto the other night, Wednesday for uh, Dynamite. But you've been to X amount there because you're right in the, the heart of things in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Is that right? You've been uh, seeing quite a few and you know a lot of those talents because that's where Chris Daniels, for example, started before he finessed in Southern California. He started right at the Sammy DeCeros, I think. Yeah, uh, Windy City Wrestling. I actually assisted train Christopher Daniels. Uh, also, also, I actually assisted in training uh, Christopher Guy, uh, Sexy A Steel, who was, I don't know if he's still with AEW after what happened back here in September with him and Punk and the fight with Twinkle Toes and the Bucks. And so I, I, I don't know. I hope he's still employed. Um you know, but I I, had, I don't know if you guys have heard anything as far as what's going on with that, that whole situation. But knowledge that Ace Steel is still there. Did they let him go permanently? I have no idea. No, I'm asking. All Jeff. I know. Oh, so we heard so he, he go. There hasn't been anything official released just yet, but he did put out a tweet just recently to the effect that he's free. So read into that what you will. The other piece of news that came out of that recently, and again, I. You know, I take all of this with a mine of salt until you actually see something happen on television. Um, but in a press conference, Tony Khan had let slip that CM Punk actually had a, an office job, much like the Bucks or Kenny Omega, which I would imagine kind of complicates things depending on how much of it was an actual fight and how much of it was part of the show. And it's weird, both of the monthly pro wrestling magazines out of London that are sold in the U.S. at a lot of Barnes & Noble stores, Russell Talk and Inside the Ropes, that's their cover issue, this uh, AEW skirmish at the, uh, you know, the press conference, the post-press conference outside that room. Um, and Ace Steel, super nice guy. And I should say Jonathan Schwartz, obviously a regular columnist with Slam Wrestling, the biggest, uh, best I think it's the best source on the planet for online things. If you want uh, events like the CAC thing, there were photos up there, uh, obituaries, you know, reunions, fan fest, anything. Uh, that's kind of, you know, the big one. As uh, High Spots is sort of like wrestling's Amazon and eBay combined, uh, that's what I think a, a slam is. So we'll get those plugs in. But Trev, um, so I didn't know you were, uh, we'll add that to your list of accomplishments, training folks as well. And tell us how, you know, I don't even, you told me this story maybe 20 some odd, 20 plus years ago. How, what was the first connection you had with pro wrestling? Like, did you catch it by accident? Did your friends or family turn you on to pro wrestling? What happened? Um, uh, well, let me throw one more name out there that I, um, 
remember assisting um, training, Adam Pierce. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So he came through, so, he yeah, came through Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've worked, I actually managed Christopher Daniels uh, back when he was uh, doing some stuff in APW. And we also had Adam yep. Pierce on a couple of our shows. And both of those guys were great. So you did a good job training them. I'll give you credit. Well, I'm, I'm not going to take all the credit. Um, as far as training, Sonny Rogers was, uh, the guy uh, that's who Adam signed up with. And, uh, if you remember a referee by the name of Joseph Fuhrer, oh, yeah. uh, he was Adam's, he's Adam's friend. Uh, they both came in. There was another kid, but he didn't, he didn't last. Uh, but Adam and, 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 and Joe toughed it out. And obviously, you know, the, where Adam is now and, uh, you know, where, um, uh, Ace is and, and, uh, um, yes yeah chris daniels and so um uh but yeah getting so getting back to your question mike um i remember seeing wrestling here in chicago uh and it was the awa stuff um 78 79 i was probably like 10 9 or 10 years old or whatever and then it was 81 maybe 82 um my dad finally took me to a um a show at the famed International Amphitheater, which is unfortunately no longer here. And um, another place that's unfortunately no longer here is the Sportatorium in Dallas. I was actually down there on Thursday because I actually am an employee with Southwest Airlines and I went down there to see our headquarters and I went by the, where the old Sportatorium, old Sportatorium was and just kind of walked around in the grass and you know, just remembering seeing all that stuff in the in the eighties with um, you know the Von Erichs and the Freebirds and Chris Adams and Austin and so, but it was eighty one eighty two. My dad took me. I don't remember the undercard, but the main event was uh, Texas Deathmatch, Bruiser Brody versus Dick the Bruiser. That was my very first match. They back then they didn't have guardrails. They had uh, the Andy Frayne security guards uh, that would walk in a V. And the wrestlers were there, to, you know, and they walked them through the crowd uh, to the ring. And, and it was just something about that that just was cool to me. And then the evolution of cable in 84, 85 opened my eyes to, I mean, I knew who Flair was and, and I knew that there was wrestling across the country. Uh, I knew there was stuff out of New York. Uh, we were able to get Southwest Championship Wrestling on uh one channel late late like probably one two o'clock in the morning um here in chicago uh with joe blanchard and um uh with with the uh, expansion of cable it opened my eyes to the nwa or georgia championship wrestling and and it was watching the whole i was a huge horseman fan and uh obviously and it was something that you know, how they portrayed their lives uh, across on TV during their interviews and stuff is like, man, that that'd be life, you know, limousines and flying Learjets and, and, and the women and everything else. And it, it, it was just something that, you know, I was telling people in eighth grade, uh, you know, guys in, in eighth grade that I was either going to be a pro baseball player or a pro uh, wrestler. And the baseball thing didn't work out. Um, I had actually had open tryouts with the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates right out of high school. I played second base and pitched, and um, uh, the Reds liked me. They invited me down as a walk-on in um, uh, the, the, the following spring, and um, I was playing football with guys from work at a, from a grocery store, and uh, tackle, no pads. I had got, I had two guys fall on top of me and dislocated my right shoulder and separated the joint. That happened on Sunday. Tuesday, I was laying on the operating table, getting my right shoulder fixed, and you know, couldn't throw a ball like I used to. And there went my opportunity. So um, I wound up falling into uh, wrestling. A girl I was dating at the time, her personal trainer at the gym was thinking about getting into it. Got me the number, gave me the number and uh, called and talked. I don't know if I first talked to Sam or if it was Mike Gretschner. And Mike Gretschner is a photographer here in the Midwest. Uh, he worked with Vern for years. Um, and I went in and uh, talked to them. And then 
you know, pulled some money out of profit sharing and went in there with a check of $2,500 and started training in uh, April of 1990. Had my first match uh, in July of 90. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that somebody didn't show up. It was at a mall outside of Chicago in one of the suburbs. And um, I walked in and Mike, uh, Mike was like, uh, you got your gear? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He was like, okay. He was like, come on, and took me to the dressing room. And the funny thing was, or the thing that made me really nervous was that we were actually in separate dressing rooms in this mall on one side of the ring and then the other. And so I'm wrestling Gigolo Johnny Mercedes, who had gone to several uh, CAC events, um, was really good friends with Carmine Despirito and Frankie DeFalco up in Milwaukee, wrestled a lot up there. So I get in a ring, and mind you, I've never met Gigolo Johnny Mercedes. We didn't meet until we actually got in the ring, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away about three, four years ago. And I had mentioned this at his uh, at his wake. Uh, his uh, his wife, his ex-wife, wanted uh, you know whoever was there to go up and kind of tell a story about Mark or you know funny story or something and 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 what i told the people at his service was you know that story and that we had never met and it, i didn't actually meet him until about three weeks after the match um but i would at the time i didn't know um but it was probably a couple of years after that i realized what he did for me and the only thing he knew was that I knew the basics. The only thing I knew going into the match was he was going to pin me with perfect flex. Um, he could have beaten. I, can you guys swear on here? I know. Is it cool? To, I mean, no F-bombs or anything, but I mean, he could have, he could have kicked my ass. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we don't have kids that watch. This okay. Stuff, so. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I, I just want to make sure I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want, you know, FCC coming <laughs> after us or anything, but, uh, no, um, he could have kicked my ass and not give me anything. And again, at the time, I didn't realize what he did. It wasn't until a couple of years later about how humble and gracious he was. I mean, he allowed me to drop kick him, chop him, uh, hip toss him, arm drag him, drop kick him. Uh, you know, when he didn't know me from boo and he could have just, you know, taken over the match and, and, just you know use me as a piece of meat and he was so gracious gracious and and humble and and giving um and and you know like i said i realized that and i i saw him about three weeks before he had passed uh, while he was in hospice and you know i had thanked him but it, it wasn't as meaningful as when i was uh sitting next to him while he was laying in bed about you know realizing what he did did for me and uh, so that was 1990, July 1990. And um, I believe it was a little bit, uh, probably about four or five years later, 90, late 96, early 97, I uh, had done some TV with the uh, defunct now AWF, where they did the round system. I think, Mike, you'll probably remember that. I don't know if John or uh, Russell, if you guys remember the AWF. Uh, was that the Sergeant Slaughter version? Uh, yeah, Tito okay. Tito was involved in it, and they brought up he was a money mark, is what the guy was. Him and his mom were the ones who invented uh, something with this. Uh, the the they no, they actually invented the ATM card and the and the machine. They were the ones without the chip, pre pre chip. They were the ones who invented the the uh, ATM card with the uh, ATM machine, and. Uh, Obviously, he made millions off of it, and he burned millions uh, while he was running that show because he was actually paying uh, he was paying for extras to sit in the audience, like 50, 175 bucks a person to sit in the audience, and we probably had 300 people <laughs> at these tapings. Wait a minute, yeah. by round system, and Jonathan can appreciate this, well, two things, the AWF must be synonymous with hate to use the term because they're usually well-intentioned. Gordon Cesari's AWF, but 
I did stuff for, but um, round system with, were they wise enough to know like British round system? Because like in LA for just television, they, they actually called it, sometimes Jimmy Lennon Sr. would call it, uh, this match is under the uh, Australian round system or the Australian slash British round system. I don't know if anybody say in Ontario ever had rounds. Was that Trevor, uh, the round system we're talking about? And no. It, it was a round system. It was like, I don't know. 30 seconds. Three, minute, three yeah. minute or four minute. I, I don't recall. I never went past one first round. I was, I, <laughs> I put Michael Hayes over. I put Chris Adams. I put Sarge over. I put Coco Beware over. And it was all under the three minutes or whatever it was. I was, I was just there to do it, do the job and get paid. And, uh, so I don't re I know some of the some of the matches with like um, you know Bob Orton or whoever those went two or three rounds or with Tito, I I don't recall, I don't recall the um, breaking, uh, breaking pausing it for a minute however long is kind of awkward. Do you remember it being? And also let me ask this quickly and then throw open to the other guys. When you saw your first match, Brody against Bruiser, was Frank allowed to use the? Um, the name Bruiser Brody, or was he King Kong Brody, as he was in St. Louis, as a favor to Dick the Bruiser, who didn't want? Him. I think it, I think it was uh, I think it was Brew because it was Battle of the Bruisers. Uh, you know, I ha I still have all those uh, Ada, uh, amphitheater posters that they had printed up. Uh, you know, with the guys' <laughs> giant posters. Yeah. And the yeah. Yeah. Page. And yeah, they were the only like a, a buck and a half, two bucks. I remember. And, so, and those were Bob Luce. Bob Luce was the promoter legend, and he, Chicago, yeah, Chicago, yeah, Chicago promoter or, empathy, or whatever. He, he talked up the shows and everything. Yeah, he was the figurehead. It was kind of a strange, Jonathan. If you've heard of, I'm sure you know this. It was a joint effort between Ganya's AWA and Dick the Bruiser's WWA out of Minneapolis, and for three, four years, Detroit as well. Detroit, and, and India, Indianapolis. Bruiser ran out of Indianapolis. Right. But he did try taking on the sheet from 71 to 70, almost late 74 in Detroit as well. So which was weird. His home base was Indianapolis. Uh, but it was a joint effort between two promotions and both Bruiser and Vern were great friends with Munchnik, who, you know, would sometimes send in Pat O'Connor. Like I shot Pat O'Connor in a 20 minute Broadway against Ray Stevens there. But uh, let me shut up and throw to you and uh, See if, if obviously Jonathan and Russ have questions. I'm just going to thank you for your service in the AWF. I think I'm one of the few. I, I I'm I have to admit, I remember when the AWF came on. We used to get it on through syndication up here. Yeah. It ran about. I think it only ran for one season at least that we got, and it was basically um, for people who who loved guys like like Bob Orton or like Tito Santana or Sergeant Slaughter was positioned as the big baby face main eventer there. Um, and just really, there wasn't as much of a forum to see them. This was around the time that the AWA had folded. Uh, WCW was still kind of in the doldrums with the ding dongs and the Cole twins on the power hour every two weeks. You know, it, it was not a, a high water mark for wrestling as a whole, but what was cool about the AWF was it was a chance to kind of keep those names that you w wouldn't necessarily see um, in either spot. Um, and also a bunch of young up and coming people. Um, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of in that space along with the WXO where you would have, again, kind of older, more established talent, but was also a place to see guys like Scoot Andrews or Billy Fives who were just kind of coming up into the scene while keeping, you know, Kurt Hennig worked there. Ted DiBiase was at least the figurehead who was bankrolling it. Um, you had Chris Cruz who left WCW, was the announcer there in Stan Lane. It, it was basically kind of, keeping a lot of talent who otherwise might have faded a little bit still in the public eye. And I, I remember watching the AWF matches with my dad, and most of them 
wouldn't really go beyond that kind of first. It was five minute rounds with a one minute round in between, and very few of them actually went. The only one that I remember actually going to a full kind of three rounds was a best of three falls match for the AWF championship between Tito Santana and Bob Orton. Bob Orton won. Tito Santana was the inaugural champion, if I remember correctly. Yeah. He and still has the belt. He yeah. still has the belt. Yeah. And and I mean the whole thing was you were setting up for this chase with guys like Tito like Tito or Sergeant Slaughter. I think this was this was before Slaughter moved on to his Iraqi gimmick in the WWF and ultimately mm-hmm. won that championship. Um but it was but it wasn't to be. There was this whole kind of chase set up and you know, as ha- as seems to happen with promotions every now and again, it just kind of was on my screen one week and off the next mm-hmm. so thank yeah, you i mean they they we taped we were probably there eight to ten hours uh we did one the chicago i don't know if they still have it but they had a uh, uh chicago had like a movie set theater uh that we actually uh wound up going to and that's where they we did the first initial tapings for them uh, and it was an all-day affair. Uh, you know, they fed us and stuff, you know, catering and everything. And I probably wrestled three times on the show. Um, and then we wound up going out to a place called the Pheasant Run uh, a few months later in St. Charles. Uh, and unfortunately, that, that building just burned down uh, over the summer. That, uh, it was actually for sale. The property was for sale and the building sold. Uh, hadn't sold yet, but a fire happened and you know, supposedly some homeless people or something like that, but who knows? Um, but, um, we did, we did two different tapings there, uh, and, and within like three months and, uh, I mean, I got paid decent. Um, but yeah, it, it, they did a show at Cicero stadium in Cicero, Illinois, which is obviously, uh, just outside of Chicago, not too far from Midway airport. And uh, they did they did well at the show, um, uh, and then I do know that they wound up going down to Florida and they tried to do taping or they did tapings down there, but they weren't like obviously flying any of us from up here in Chicago down. They flew a couple of guys that were helping out backstage, like uh, this one guy uh, uh, wound up. He was he was a guy who was just keeping time, and they flew him down and paid him and gave him a hotel room. And, he was like, yeah, it's the best week I've ever had. And, you know, because he got paid and had a hotel in Florida and, you know, so, um, but yeah, Paul Amperstein, who, who owned it. Uh, oh, I remember that name. Remember, you remember him? Yeah. He, uh, he was going through money hand and foot and, and all the boys knew it, Tommy Rich and, and whoever, whoever uh, wound up going, they were probably making two to 3000 uh, uh, a day or, or per match or whatever. I don't, uh, you know, but I know that, you know, somebody that's money mark and you know, you know, you can, you can ask for five or six or, or seven or, you know, a thousand dollars. He's a money mark and he's a wrestling fan. They're going to wind up paying those guys. And that, unless you're bringing in the, the amount that you're spending, that you're spending, if you're not bringing, breaking even or making a profit, that money ain't gonna last forever, and that's what happened. I mean, he—I I saw him. I saw Paul one time uh, at um, a casino out in Joliet. I happened to be there and with some friends and walking by, and there's Paul sitting at the uh, blackjack table, and we talked briefly. And I think it was like less than a year later he wound up passing. So a couple. So a couple of minutes. One is, um, I just got done watching the Blues Brothers with my daughter a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So, and, and, and I will say that uh, west of, uh, east of, of Denver and west of Pittsburgh, the only thing worth anything in the United States is Chicago. Chicago well, is one of my all-time favorite cities. Spent a lot of time at the Kingston Mines. Brain oh, cells yeah. that will never come back. Because of the, I kept drinking there, kept waiting for uh, the two o'clock um, uh, 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 call, you know, like we have in California. I kept waiting for them to say last call. And then four in the morning passed. And I was like, are they ever going to say last yeah. call? And they say, you don't have last call in Chicago. 
It's yeah. just, some it, some places do, some places don't. Here's a funny. Here's fine. a funny story about you brought up the Kingston mine. Here's a funny story about that. Uh, so, have you guys ever heard of um, uh, Jim Cornelison? He's a he sings the anthem for the Chicago Blackhawks, but he's also done it for the Bears and across the country. Uh, last time I was there, I'm friends with him. Last time I was there, I was, uh, there to see his son. His son plays guitar in a band and they were there at Kingston Mine. That was probably four or five years ago, I think. Something like that. So, uh. Nice to know. But um, I wanted to ask you of, you had so many talents that you worked with. Who was your favorite one to work with in the ring? Um, out of, out of all the companies I've worked with? Yeah. Uh, name-wise, Chavo Guerrero. Hands down, um, really? that 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 matches on um, that matches on uh, YouTube. Uh, Chavo Guerrero versus Trevor Blanchard. Um, I, I remember, you know, he knew who I was, and he and and I was close to Eddie, and and eventually became really close with with Chavo. Uh, and we and and I remember every match that I worked with WCW, what city and, and building and, and all the particulars. Uh, we were at the Dane County Arena up in Madison, Wisconsin, and, you know, um, I seeked him out. And I'm like, hey, Chavo, I says, um, we're working tonight. And, uh, and he's like, oh, how long have you been working? I said, I, says, uh, I think I had been in already in seven or eight years. It was 97 or 98. And, um, and so we talked a few things out, but everything else was pretty much, you know, we called it in the ring. And, uh, that was one of the first, that was the first time that when I came back through the curtain, uh, I was getting pats on the back by, um, uh, Sully, uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Jimmy Hart was real happy with the match. Um, Arn Anderson was happy with the match. And it was at that point, I'm like, wow, am I going to be able to get signed? Even if I was just going to be doing, you know, the TV matches, uh, that would have been cool to, you know, go every week or every other week and be flown out and do those shows and get paid decent and, and, and you know, obviously come, come home. Because I was working in the uh, grocery retail industry um, at the time. I was working at a grocery store and... Um, um, but it, the, 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 the whole thing with, with WCW, uh, you know, uh, they had done a, they had done a, uh, Indianapolis, uh, Nitro. It was either Nitro, Nitro or Thunder on a, on a Tuesday night and Wednesday night, they were going to be in Peoria, Illinois at the Civic Center. So I went to, you know, I went to the building and, and, you know, went through the back door and, and, uh, I saw Arn and Arn was like, uh, Hey kid, you got your gear with? And I'm like, yes, sir. He was like, go get it. And I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, cool. I'm going to wind up working a house show. Okay. So he comes back or I come back, go back in. And he's, um, he told me, he was like, um, Sarge, Sarge, Sarge's back, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker's back was messed up not sure if he's going to go. If he doesn't, you're going to wind up working Benoit. And I'm like, great. It's freaking great. You know, Chris knew who I was uh, from seeing me at the tapings. And um, so I'm waiting and waiting. And, and then eventually Sarge winds up doing a match and they go out and they were literally out there for like three minutes, maybe or less. Sarge's back tightened up, couldn't move. Chris pinned him with like, I don't know. I don't even remember what it was, but I'm standing behind the curtain and as um, uh, one of the security guards, Chris, and um, the referee bringing um, Sarge back, go through the curtain, and he looks at me and he's like, I'm sorry, kid, I, I should have let you work. Mm-hmm. Was what it was. So then after that, uh, you know, stuck around, and at the end of the night, Darren came up to me and he said, um, hey, kid, how, how far is Chicago from here? Now, it's about two hours and 25 minutes, two and a half hours. I told him it was only like about an hour and 20. <laughs> so he, he is that guy. I tell you what, because I know you're going to show up. He was like, if we're within five hours of Chicago, I want you at the building. He was like, if you work, you'll get a check two weeks later. If you need a hotel, I'll make sure you get the, the our discount uh, through Turner or whatever. Uh, if you don't work, uh, you'll still get the hotel discount. If, you know, you're not going to drive back, uh, just make sure you fill up on your gas, 
give me the receipt and I'll double your gas. So I'm, I was basically, I had a tank free out there and I had a tank free back, back home. And back then gas wasn't as high as it was, as it is now. Uh, but it was a handshake agreement with Arn. And then, and, and, you know, um, whenever they were within, within five hours here in the Midwest, I was there. Because Arn knew he can count on me to be there. And if I needed to do, put somebody over, they knew that I would do it, you know. So it, it, just kind of, Trying to go off memory here. I, I, it's unfortunate you didn't get to work with with Chris Benoit, but you did get to work with with Fit Finley. Yes. Oh, you saw that match. <laughs> I, I, so big WCW fan back in the day. I remember. So when I heard you were uh, going to be you the re- guest, you remember the hair, right? <laughs> I remember that, and I always, and I always, you know, kayfabe being what it is, you never quite know which wrestling families are real. So I, I recognized the name and I was always kind of, you know, who knows. Um, but I remember you and Fit Finley um, and you and going from Sublime to Ridiculous, I guess, Van Hammer and Disco Inferno. Yep. And Chris Daniels a bunch of times. But I think but it seems like you guys kind of ran into each other up and down the scene. So first time I worked with WCW was Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, the Royce Center right near uh, um, uh, Lambeau Field. Uh, it was cold out, I remember, and it was the first time I had met Paige, DDP, and he was wearing that long fur coat that he that Dusty Rhodes had worn on TV with Magnum, and Paige had wound up buying that, and he was wearing it up in Green Bay. It's freaking hilarious. So, uh, so I uh, I walk in I walk in and put my bag down, and I was well, I was walking somewhere backstage, and uh, before they let people in, and and uh, uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Christopher, walks up to me. It's like, Trevor Blanchard, hey, it's finally nice to meet you. I've seen you in the magazines. Mark knew his knew his history of, of, of workers. And I was just shocked that here's a guy on a national level working with a national company. He knew who I was. I was like, wow, that's freaking cool. So... I wound up, my first match was wound up, uh, was with uh, Disco and put him over with the reverse figure four. Um, it was pretty cool having Dusty Rhodes call my match too, along with, uh, I don't, I, I forget who the other announcer was, but all I remember is I, I had a match called by Dusty Rhodes, you know, so, uh, and then they came up to me and they actually. You didn't get to go to the pay window though. That's right. <laughs> who used to uh, pay the wait. wait. It, it, it took a clover in. Sometimes it was Hebner, and then it was uh, the SmackDown announcer, Tony Chimmel, that would give the, the envelopes to the boys in WWFE. Who did it in the, I can't even remember who did it in the in WCW. WCW uh, we filled out the paperwork, and we got checked two weeks later. Oh, okay. It wasn't at the show. Yeah, there was no advance or anything like that. Well, very quickly, Brian Hildebrand was another brother of mine dating back to the late 70s before we lost him and then Les Thatcher did those benefits for him and Pillman. But Hildebrand also managed as uh, heel Dr. Mean Mark Curtis. I think he yes. Curtis name, but he managed like all these Jersey Philly shows. I'd be shooting uh, Cactus Jack against Eddie Gilbert mm-hmm. and he managed Terry Funk on some of those Tom Robinson benefits that Cora Luzo and the ECW precursor, Todd Gordon, who was still with Joel Goodhart of TWA. They did these benefits and, and, he was on those, uh, all of those events, sometimes roughing, but not so much like Scotty Dickinson, another ref out of the Boston area, yep. you know, very well from yep. WCW. But Hildebrand was one of those guys who would call us all like at three in the morning to talk wrestling. And you yeah. just pick. <laughs> he never called me at three in the morning, but it was because he knew I had kids. So probably, but um, uh, getting back to the Green Bay show, uh they asked me they were like hey we need one more match are you good with that i'm like yeah sure whatever you know i was willing and able to do you know whatever i needed to do and they says all right well you're gonna wind up working um uh mean mike enos like okay it's cool right so um i don't remember a whole lot about the match but i do remember the finish and then what happened after so he pinned me with a um uh power slam off the ropes and when I would take that, I would jump up as if I was doing a vertical, which is, you know, 
you jump up and the guy runs in between your legs and then hits the other ropes. So I would jump up like that straight and he caught me and boom, and he pinned me and he was like, wow, that was freaking, freaking great, man. Thanks. I'm like, okay, as he's getting up and he's kind of walking around and I'm slowly starting to, you know, like come to, and, uh, he, he picks me up and, uh, he's like, take another one. I'm like, okay. Boom. Take another one. <laughs> Boom. Last one. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm like, whatever. I had no idea what he was doing. He told Mark Curtis was a ref. He told Mark, he was like, reverse the decision, raise the kid's hand. I was like, because I, in, in the back when we were kind of going over some things, he was like, where'd you train at? I'm like in Chicago um, with Sonny Rogers and Sam Denise. He's like, oh, Sonny, I love Sonny Rogers. And so that's what helped me, I guess, put me over with him. And then the way I did what I did for him in the ring he just wanted to make sure that I got my arm raised in front of the crowd, even though they were able to edit that out and just show the the first one where he pinned me and then got his arm raised, which I thought was freaking cool. You know, let me say this about Sonny Rogers quickly, and then we'll ask Russell what I, I want you to talk about what happened at CAC this year. Sonny Rogers, who was a lot of folks saw, you know, the tail end of ESPN's AWA jobbing, et cetera. You know, when Steve Regal also, I'm talking about the American Chicago, I think it was from Chicago, Steve Regal. Indianapolis. Indianapolis, okay. Yep. Sonny Rogers was long rumored to be Buddy Roberts' half-brother. Buddy Roberts, who I first met and started in Montreal as part of the original Hollywood Blondes with Jerry Brown, managed by Oliver Humperdinck. And then, of course, everybody knows him better in world class as, you know, part of the Three Birds and his whole many years there. Do you know if that was true? He was very well known, but was was he related in any way to uh, to Buddy, who eventually passed from uh, throat cancer? He had a, a voice box. We saw him at CAC. You right. were, were there with right. him. Yeah. No. Um, as far as I know, um, there's no relation. No relation between between. Because uh, I wanted to see this was. A big deal because women have not had as much of a role. You know, sometimes we'll give one or two female awards. You know, since I've been around CAC since '87, but this was thankfully the first time a female Medusa Debbie Michelli was MC. Was it Rizzi by himself last year as MC? Do you remember? No. Um, who was with? Uh, yeah, actually, I think John was was by himself last year. Because Debbie, that last year Debbie got the got the, the Mike Mazurki Award. Yeah, and then, but I think she actually helped. She helped Tuesday night because she got her award on Wednesday night. Yeah. So I think I think because of how well they gelled, is the reason why they want she wound up host, uh, co-hosting or emceeing along with John this year. And she did a great job. Now, yeah. oh, on his uh, uh, show, I think, in the either in the Philippines or South America or something like that back in the mid 90s. Uh, but who are the honorees? Like, there's a lot of Memphis and Jacqueline. Jacqueline, who started as Miss Texas in all places, Memphis. Most everybody, oh, that's the program I was bugging you for. Yep. Uh, I do not have an extra one, Mike. Um, I got to the Tuesday. They, they normally would give these out on Wednesday. Um, and they had them out on Tuesday and I was, and I got down there late from my hotel room. I was just taking my time and, uh, I was sitting with Al Burke from California and then Sabrina and, uh, Naya Kennedy from New York, uh, my New York girls. Uh, so I was not able to get another one for you. So I apologize. Right. I'll pay you to take a cell phone picture of all of them, but, uh, let's say, see, uh, JBL next to Jacqueline, who else is on there? Uh, Jerry Lawler, Sullivan, um, Conan, Tommy Rich, and the Rock and Roll. So Tuesday night, Tuesday night they did the uh, the tribute to Memphis, which uh, they changed it. It was uh, uh, it's been the Bachrinkle blowout, um, but they changed it for this year for you know because Memphis was so prominent in that. Uh, so I mean, Jimmy Hart was there. Well, and now we have Tales of the Territories, so... Yeah, yeah, it was pretty much, yeah. Ties in well with the Tales of the Territories, but this was the first time for many of them. Jimmy Hart's been to many. 
but Jerry and Jeff Jarrett, first timers, Conan first timers, Jacqueline first timers, and Jacqueline started in Memphis. Was she part of that Tuesday night, Jacqueline? Because she started there. Is Miss Texas? No, she got she got the female award wrestler, uh, but more so with her from her start in Texas and then her WWE stuff. I don't recall if they mentioned much about about her being in Memphis. Um, I shot her. There. She started. She was part of that USWA that mixed with Jarrett and yeah. Fritz leftovers in Dallas, where they would tape right. in Memphis, but also Dallas. Chaz Taylor was there. Well, wow. Taylor's son. He was there uh, from US. You know, obviously USWA. Um, the um, uh, who else was there? Oh, uh, yeah, Jared, Je Jeff Jarrett, it was his first time. Uh, Jerry Lawler's been there before. Yeah. Uh, um, Jerry Jarrett was actually there as well. Um, and what then, did, they, um, did they have a round table panel or something with them just talking about Memphis? How did Tuesday go, the set, night before the main awards Wednesday? Um, basically, uh, they were, they were, you know, Jerry told stories, uh, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, told stories. They they gave an award for, to T. You remember Teeny, uh, uh, Christine Jarrett. They gave an award to her grandson that night, that Tuesday night. That and you know, uh, Ricky and Robert got the tag team award. They were talking about you know they talked about Memphis and stuff and and Tommy um, Rich, Tommy Rich, uh, here, Tommy, Tommy Rich. Yep, yep. Um, here's the, here's a funny story. So. Jeff Jarrett was up there and he had mentioned about, you know, that about his dad, his, his dad thought they were getting it Wednesday night. He was actually upstairs sleeping for, for the award for Tuesday night. So he, he didn't make it down until Wednesday for, for the, for the uh, banquets. That was kind of a, that was kind of a funny, everybody got a chuckle out of that. So, but um, yeah, I, I mean, they, they told, they told great stories and, yeah, they talked about the uh, Lawler Kaufman um, great, great storyline angle and everything. And um, uh, did they say anything? What was in the second tale to the territories from the strictly? No, no, they didn't. They didn't. They they mentioned that 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 it was on Vice, uh, but they didn't go into any detail as far as you know what's going to be in the first episode, what's going to be in the second one. So. And I've only seen the first one, which was really good. Well, the coffin thing is, is must watch, too. And then this Tuesday on Vice on Tales from the Territories at 7 uh, Pacific, I'm not sure if it's the same time Eastern, uh, is AWA. But they've got Medusa. They mislabeled. They, they showed a graphic of Jimmy Brunzel talking, they had, you know, as the identifier, Steve Olsonowski, when it was obviously jumping Jim Brunzel. I think mm -hmm. Tara is part of that. I don't know if Greg Gagne, I'm assuming Greg must be part of it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I would think um, I, I, maybe maybe Mick Karch is involved in it. Uh, uh, or you, uh, what's his name? The George uh, Shire. What's his name? George? Shire. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and also Wednesday night, the main awards, Ray Jr., who debuted last year, came to his first CAC to get an award. He presented to Conan. Can you tell us how that went? Um, yeah, it was, um, it was really, it was really, um, uh, so, some, some information that I never knew. Um, I guess Ray was, cause there's a, there's an age difference between Conan and Ray and Conan had already been in the business and Ray, Ray was like 13 or whatever <laughs> was hanging around hanging around Conan and stuff. And unfortunately Conan is going through some, some health issues. I guess he, uh, he's going through dialysis. I guess he needs a kidney and he did not look really good. Uh, you can see it in his face that he was, you know, he's not, he's not doing well, but hopefully, you know, he'll be able to get a new kidney and, and, and he's had that before over the last 15 years, he's had kidney ailments. Um, I, I, that I, I wasn't aware of it until, you know, last month. Yeah, that's why he stopped wrestling, you know, pretty much after TNA. Uh, mm -hmm. And he came back. He had kidney ailments then. Um, any, so, any 
Was, it, was he a big drinker or no? No, no, no. You know, sometimes it's, it can be familial, genetic, hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mike, oh. while we have a couple minutes left, I wanted to ask uh, Trevor a, a question about, you know, sure. Chicago as a territory. Um, uh, we, we run along uh, across people all across the United States and the world, and I always want to find out what makes their territory special. What is it about Chicago? that makes Chicago style of wrestling and, and the kind of stuff that you do in Chicago different than what you'd see in say Memphis or St. Louis or Minnesota or some of the other territories we've covered. Hmm. Well, if you, we, we, we do a uh, thing called uh, the Midwest reunion uh, here in Chicago every, well, it used to be in the spring, but because of COVID and everything, now it, uh, it's the last couple of years it's been in September. But if you were to do a, a tree as far as Chicago wrestling, it would start with Sonny Rogers and Sam DeSera. And from there, it would just branch out. Sonny left Sam, was uh, training at PWI, Pro Wrestling International. That was his company. Um, that's where Adam Pierce came through. Um, Joe Fuhrer came through. Um, and then from, from um, Windy City, you had A. Steele and Danny Dominion, who eventually worked with um, Ed Hillier up in Minneapolis with Steel Domain. They opened up a school. Um, from there, that's where Punk went to. And now Punk was a was a yarder to begin with, uh, with uh, a company called LWF. Um, and they drew, they 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 had a good I don't know three four years that they were drawn really really well. Um, then, like I said, then you 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 have Punk, Cabana, Colt Cabana started with a guy Rock and Randy Ritchie who. Um, uh, did TV for WWF, uh, and he actually started with Windy City as well. So, uh, as far as what stands out, what makes Chicago unique, it all came from Sam DeSero and Sonny Rogers, and has just filtered out and out and out and out on as a huge tree to where. Uh, Jimmy Blaze, who owns Pow Entertainment, who I am his events coordinator and kind of like his second second right hand man uh, for the company. Jimmy now has he's had his company. We're actually uh, November fifth. We're doing uh, Wrestle Rage twenty twenty years of Wrestle Rages. Uh, we're already sold out, and we just announced today that we're going to be uh, on pay per view uh for the people that aren't able to make it which is a first for us as well um jimmy has his own school so now there's guys so again it's starts with sam and, and sunny and it's just filtered out um to different people that have gotten training from sam and sunny to like jimmy and myself and and and, and a steel and dominion branched out uh, There's a guy by the name of Adrian Lynch who got trained by Sonny. Sonny, uh, and then people from from that that side of of Sonny branched out, started their own schools and and their own companies. And uh, so, I mean, you can go back all the way to like 1988, as far as when people started training with Sam, that are either still in the business in some way, shape, or fashion, they might be promoting. There's a guy by the name of Frankie Tyrant who runs out in Princeton, Illinois, a couple times a year, benefit shows. Um, so it, it's it, it, the 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 one thing that I can say is is that if you got training in Chicago and it wasn't anybody affiliated through Sam DeCero and Mike Granchner that or not Mike um, Sonny Rogers who had come through that school, one of those schools, Windy City or PWI, um, you'd, I, I wouldn't say that you weren't trained the right way, but um, the training is different. The training is different. There's more, there's more of an old school 
mentality on the training from Sam and Sonny. Trev, we've got a little bit, uh, we've got, we're winding up. We want to have you both, you and obviously Jonathan, plug away. Jonathan, we will talk more and get, just let you talk away on the AEW and your experience at, at your first Dynamite in Toronto, which was a huge deal, lots of things happening there. And they are going to make that a regular part of Tony Khan's. You know, that's going to, they're going to be returning very soon because they were happy. I, I would I would hope so. Um, I just wanted to say uh, to answer uh, Russ's question earlier, just in terms of what makes each uh, wrestling hotbed special. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. In a recent column, I spoke about how very often um, many cities and in, in up here in Canada are very different in terms of how we respond to wrestling compared to what we get it to what we see in the states um first off we certainly have our own local promotions that we're rabid fans of um it's always great whenever we see hometown talent make good going back to whether it's you know the hart family the rujos edge and christian most recently um kevin owens and Sami Zayn. i mean we we take our successes to heart and, and I imagine that's the same for any city, that whenever you see a guy make it onto the biggest stage possible and you have that feeling of, oh, well, I saw this guy in UWA in Mississauga in a repurposed livestock barn in front of 25 guys, and then you get to see them you know, walk the ramp at a WrestleMania or at an all-out or anything like that, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, one thing I will say, just kind of as a Canadian wrestling fan, we've long had a reputation as kind of being bizarro world compared to uh, the U.S. markets. And I think it's fascinating. I think there was a lot of it. I don't know if you've seen the if you've seen the uh, Dynamite episode this past Wednesday. Apparently, I was on it in a crowd shot very briefly, fully masked. Um, and But we don't follow the script which I think is an awesome thing from a fan's perspective. I don't know how, you know, um, maybe that, maybe you can speak to it better than I can as a, from a performer's perspective, but, you know, they're going to give us whatever storylines they want. They're going to present the characters however they want. We're going to cheer and boo for whoever we please. So one thing I really love about Canadian crowds, and it was really in full effect on Wednesday, was, you know, Christian comes out, local boy, he's getting a cheer the whole way through. Uh, Luchasaurus comes out, who's supposed to be a big bad heel. Not here, he ain't. Chris Jericho comes out, wrestling probably one of the biggest baby faces in the company in Brian Danielson, at least this week. We were chanting Y2J the whole time. That's actually the one thing that I questioned in terms of how the fans were responding, um, that there were a number of chants that struck me as interesting. So you, ha you have Jericho, who's been affiliated with AEW since the beginning, three years in, and people are still going going with his WWE nickname. Or when Christian comes out, they're doing an Edge's Better chant. And I wonder if that actually made it to the broadcast, because, you know, both of these guys have done phenomenal work since they're in AEW. Christian's mic work has been outstanding. Jericho's having a whole new re a whole renaissance with his ROH run. Uh, which was actually the subject of my most recent column this past Sunday. Um, next up, I'm going to look at the bunch of returns since Triple H and Stephanie took over. Um, but both of these guys are doing incredible work, and the fans are just celebrating them the way we know how. Is Luchasaurus before most of us discovered him in uh, Lucha Underground, but is he from Canada? I don't know anything about him. No, no he's, he's not. From, he's, at, he's from California. I'm, uh, I met him on a show out in California that Billy Blade was running. Oh, like in the Santa Barbara area. Wow. And I should say, uh, Russ, yeah. he has a master's degree in history. Really? Which is awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss that on the next one. I'll, I'll bug you about that. Uh, next show, Russ has booked Super Diablo. Well, I think it was in the very first class. No, uh, it's Chicano Flame. Chicano Flame. I'm sorry. Chicano Flame. But of interest, though, from what we've all talked about tonight, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, Chris Daniels, and Ace. Uh, Ace no, I'm saying they were all on uh, the King of the Indies. The very first thing that led to Ring of Honor. This was two thousand. What was it? August of two thousand one, or Something maybe like July two thousand tournament. 
But it was Daniels. Who else was in that thing? Because I mean, there were there was another name that we had mentioned coming out of Chicago, getting finessed, and uh, besides Scrap Iron and uh, and Chris Daniels and oh, Scoot Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews, who was on those uh, Alperstein things. He was from Florida, but he was on the uh, King of the Indies, Russ, as well. That two night tournament in two thousand one. And I had Vito Tomaselli. Uh, you know, the, he he's, he did work in in Chicago as well. Yep, and I remember remember him being on the show also. All right, Jonathan is with Slam Wrestling. Everybody knows the site. Jonathan, do you want to give the the best URL so people can go right to it? Sure. I write the Wrestlers Court with Jonathan Schwartz column every two weeks on SlamWrestling.net. Um, my most recent one came out this past Sunday, where I basically look at why Chris Jericho as Ring of Honor champion counterintuitively is actually a really good thing. He's doing great work and he's drawing eyes to the product that wouldn't normally be there, which I think is the name of the game, especially since the relaunch of ROH has not been without its challenges. Um, This Sunday coming up, I'm thinking of looking at um, the rash of returns that have come back to WWE uh, since Triple H and Stephanie have taken over. I think that a lot of what we're seeing at minimum is kind of a make good for some of the COVID era releases, uh, which really left a bad taste in a lot of fans and people who watch wrestling's mouths. And it's good to see that they seem to be at least trying to make some of that right now. Um, And from a fan's perspective, the fact that many of them are getting at least early meaningful programs and stuff to do that's worthy of their talents instead of meaningless comedy skits um, seems to be a great thing as well. So um, look for that coming up this Sunday on Slam Wrestling at Wrestler's Court with Jonathan Schwartz. Wrestler's Court with Jonathan Schwartz. The big highlight from uh, Raw was, of course, Good Brothers and then the Brave thing to end the show. Open, well, maybe didn't open with the Good Brothers, but they came in. Big, nice surprise there since they left the Impact. And then we saw the counter on AEW with the kingdom going there. Uh, Trev, why don't you plug anything and everything you'd like to plug before we run out of time? Um, yeah, I mean, just uh, uh, the, the POW Entertainment. It's spelled P-O-W-W Entertainment. Uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, I believe the link for the uh, pay-per-view, our very first pay-per-view, uh, will be up there tomorrow sometime. Uh, so if you want to see Chicago wrestling, um, you know, you can log on to the, uh, click on that link. I think it's like $15. Uh, I believe there's nine matches. Uh, one of them is a battle Royal. Uh, it's a Z- the zebra kid, uh, Memorial battle Royal. Uh, Kevin was, uh, uh, he was actually jiggle Johnny Mercedes, uh, manager when in my very first match. And, uh, uh, Everybody loved Kevin, and and we decided uh, he passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, and we decided to do that in honor of him. So it's an annual thing, and we got a, we got this nice, really uh, big trophy uh, uh, trophy for it, and the nameplate can be taken off and replaced for whoever is going to be winning it. Uh, you know, so um, I was actually the inaugural one uh, who won it uh, out of out of left field, had didn't even see it coming. Um, very, very emotional night. Um, his sister wanted to make it, but she was very worried about COVID. Uh, she made it out there last year and, uh, uh, tiny wound up winning, uh, last year's. And so his name is on that until, uh, November 5th, and then there'll be a new one put on there. So again, it's a POWW entertainment on Facebook. Um, like that, like that page. And then, like I said, that link for the pay-per-view for $15, you'll be able to sit, sit at home and watch it, especially if you're cross country or up in Canada or wherever around the world, um, we'd love to have you. And, uh, it's, it's going to be a special night. Um, you know, Mike, you had mentioned about, uh, my boys, uh, my older boy, Brian has been refereeing for 10 years already, 10 plus, I think started when he was age 15 and then uh, my younger son Kyle he actually is is wrestling he'll be wrestling for the uh, uh, JP uh, I forget it. I forget who he's wrestling but uh, it's for the uh, uh, he's wrestling for a title that night so he wrestles as Kazile <laughs> so a little, little Carney yeah a little Kazarni yeah 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 similar uh, yeah Wow. Well, it's great to have you guys on this week. Um, we'd like to have you on in the future. 
Yeah. You know, especially I, 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 you know, I, I love talking history. Uh, like Mike knows, you know, when we go to Jack in a Box or the Egg and I in Vegas, we usually sit for a good hour and a half or so and and just talk about the business and and uh, stories and everything. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Mike, let me know when when you guys want me back. I, again, I love the love the talk talk wrestling and 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 this business in this industry. I mean, there's a lot of things that I wish it was back to when I started. You know, having kayfabe and. We'll have to say that for the next show. We'll have to yeah. say that for the next yeah. show. Anyway, um, it's great to see everyone. We've got to go this week, and we'll see everyone next week. So thank you very much for being here. Take care. Good night, Take everyone. Care. Appreciate it. Good night. Good night.